146 ministry is something that um, we have been uh, blessed to be a part of. It's a ministry that kind of was, was birthed right here uh, by the Holy Spirit doing a work in a number of uh, parents' minds and hearts saying, listen, we need to make a difference. That 146 stands for the number of orphans worldwide. And so we care. Um, actually, we're in the final stages. I should probably remind you again, do not go out and um, sign up for a compassion child because we're this close to sealing a deal with compassion to do some specific work in the Dominican. And uh, so they finally found like three different locations that we're going to start connecting with. So we are about to be uh, kind of partnering with them. That's a part of this. But it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, so this is what we're doing in Mexico with these orphans, and this is what we did in Rwanda, and this is what we did in Ethiopia. But you'd realize how many, like in our own city, in our own county, that need help, that may not be orphans, but they definitely need help. They need families and parents to come alongside. You've heard of fostering, right? So we have a real passion about that, real desire about that. And so this conference is coming out. You'll see in the lobby a place where you can sign up. So if God has ever put on your heart and you would like to know more before you jump in, because it's literally, you're over your head pretty quickly. And so the kind of training necessary really is important. Um, If you'd like to know more about that, um, you'll see people in the lobby. They would love to talk with you. Um, It is good to be back. Last week, my wife and I happened to be um, in Charleston, South Carolina. How many of you have ever been to Charleston? Raise your hand if you've been to Charleston. Food's amazing. Names of restaurants, bizarre, right? Last Saturday night, Andrew and I ate. I had duck liver. I don't know what you had. It was really quite good. Um, At the Obstinate Daughter. Now, you may know her, but this was a restaurant, right? It's called the Obstinate Daughter. They just have the most amazing food and the most amazing restaurants and had a great time. More than that, we're blessed to uh, be part of of a fundraiser for One World Health, which is the organization that we partner with when we go to Nicaragua as well as Uganda and got to get kind of some pretty sweet, um, uh, like a sweet table at uh, twice these, these concerts. You guys have heard Need to Breathe? So they're big One World people and so we're able to kind of see them in concert. Matt Carney, Ben Rector. Uh, Mac Powell, you guys remember Mac Powell from Third Day? Um, really, really cool. It was, it was a great, great, great time. Um, but more than that, we were able to raise money for One World and looking forward to continued trips both to Nicaragua and Uganda. But it is, it is good to be back. Continuing in our series, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to kind of run out through the end of this chapter. Next week, we're going to be coming back and getting ready for Easter. We're going to be talking about the death of Christ next week. We're going to be talking um, uh, immediately following that about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the command of Jesus for us to continue to go. So we're going to be stepping out of Matthew, but we're still going to be in gospel. It might be the gospel of Matthew. We're literally looking at those ideas about the death, the resurrection, um, and the enthronement of Christ from the book of Romans. That'll be our three-part series to prepare our hearts for what's happening around us because Easter's not about eggs. You know that, right? It's not about Easter eggs, it's not about chocolate. Easter's about Jesus, okay? So uh, I, I, I hope, that you might, nothing wrong with enjoying finding eggs, nothing wrong with enjoying chocolate, but Easter is about Jesus and specifically his resurrection. But here we are wrapping this up about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I wanna begin by just sharing with you, I don't know, maybe a story, a story that would go something like this. The kingdom of God is like, if I were to pick a name, maybe like out of my head, like Coach Jim. And Coach Jim would be a track and field coach who loved to take young men and women and help them understand what it was like 
to run well to win the race. And teach them about, because there are certain people, usually like soccer type people, who don't know that there's a specific way that they need to run. They don't understand how to prepare like this. And so, essentially, Coach Jim found these number of boys and girls and began to teach them and invest in them about being prepared. Because he found on this wonderful team, and he loved them so much, there was a a young boy, I don't know, um, Zane, we will call him. And, and, and Zane, he could see it in his eyes. He could literally see it in his eyes. This young man loves, 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 loves to win and wants to win. And, and right now, because I asked him, hey, Zane, well, no, not me, not me, not me. Coach Jim asked student Zane, hey, you want to win, don't you? And, and Zane looked up at the coach and said, oh, more than anything, coach. Okay, then you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. You need to do this. And so we're going to train regularly. Do you want to win? Yes, Zane said. Coach Jim said, then let's prepare. Now, I don't know because I've heard other versions of this story where a coach allows children to just disappear for a very long period of time. (laughs) That's not what Coach Jim is like. No, no, no. Coach Jim is keenly aware of the situation. Coach Jim knows that there are those that he loves and cares for and they say they want to win and they mean it, unlike others like Zane and say a kid I can't even remember, Coach Jim. Jim can't remember. And so every day, Coach Jim would love them and share with them, this is how you need to run, and this is how we run as a team. And every day, Coach Jim was watching as Zane and an unnamed boy just decided to leave the trail and to leave the team and to abandon everything they said they loved and build a stupid fort. (laughs) And the coach said nothing. The coach allowed it to happen. Over and over and over again, the team would go out and Zane would say every day, I wanna be a winner, I wanna be a winner. And then the fort that the coach watched them build continued, and the coach never intervened. He never stepped in. Day of the race comes along and and, and the coach could tell, he really can. He's a very wise coach, by the way. Coach Jim could tell that said student Zane wasn't ready. He just knew it. And when the race was over, and Zane, and you could just see the disappointment in his eyes. And he was just embarrassed. Felt like, felt like he had been a failure. And Coach Jim walked up to, to this little boy named Zane and said, you lazy, lazy little boy. You want to know why you're last? Because you're lazy and you decided to waste your time building a fort. I was watching you and you even built a catapult. I hope you're happy. I hope you enjoy your fort because we are about to have a huge party to celebrate what the team did and what the team was devoted to and how the team listened to me and you and your unnamed friend are going to sit outside and watch us eat cake. Boom. Drop the mic. Okay. What kind of coach would do that? What what kind of coach would would literally kind of sit back and know all that's going on, see those that are dedicated, see those that are devoted, see those that say they are but aren't? They're easily distracted. And then at the end, I don't know about you, any of you thinking at the very end that Coach Jim was going to come in and rescue Zane anyway? Like, I know you didn't prepare, and I know you were just really distracted, and I know you didn't do what I asked you to do, but come on in anyway. 
Like, isn't that the way we parent? Isn't that the way we coach? What kind of a coach would do that? I don't know, coaches with a better name than Jim. Like, I don't know, I don't know what you do with this. That appears to be what Coach Jesus does. See, this text and that parable, I don't know if you've heard that before, but that parable that I told from a little bit of a different perspective definitely reminds us that this idea of the second coming of Jesus Christ leaves us with two very important questions. The first one is this, when, 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 when? It just seems like, come on, Jesus, let's do this. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then after asking that for a really, really long period of time, you begin to get distracted. Okay, and fine, if, if, if it looks like it's going to be a while, what are we going to do? I'm so bored. What are we going to do? Those are the two major questions. How long? What do we do? Jesus answers it. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, the story of the ten virgins, five who were prepared, five who were not. Five who were let in, five who were shut out, and the door was shut. Jesus continues on in verse 14, for it, the kingdom of God, that that time between his first and second coming, that's like today, for that time, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. Notice I mean, this is where if you read it too quickly, you fail to recognize. Like, notice how people are related to one another, and notice who owns stuff, and notice who gives stuff, and notice who receives stuff, and notice how those things stay the same way all the way through. Watch. There's a guy, goes on way on a journey. He called his servants, and then he gave, he delivered, he entrusted to them his property. He's not giving them property, it's still his. Hey, I I got something for you that's mine and I need you to take care of it for me. I'm not giving it to you. I'm entrusting it. There's a difference between giving someone something and entrusting them with something. He gives them and trusts to them his property. Verse 15, to one he gave, (laughs) that's interesting, gift. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. He had received five talents, went at once. Notice the diligence, notice the intentionality. Went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But, there's always a but. There's always a, there's always a one. There's a five, a two, there's always a one. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and then hid his master's, his master's money. Didn't didn't hide his own money. He hid his master's money. And now after a long time, I think that matters. Uh, I think we miss, that's not just an amazing interest in the story. It actually prepares us. The, 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 the emphasis that we see in the final week of Jesus where he's saying to his disciples, it's going to be a long time, it's going to be a long time, it's going to be a long time, is noticeable, right? The virgins last week that Zane preached about. Wait, you're the kid in that story? Okay, the guy the, 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 <laughs> that Zane preached about last week, right? The virgins there? Like there was, 
they weren't prepared and it went longer than expected. Five remained diligent, five did not. It was, I didn't expect it to be this long. I can hear the excuses already. Notice he says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came to settle accounts. Let's, let's meet, let's figure out where you guys are. Settle accounts with them. And he, who had received the five talents, came forward bringing five talents more, saying, master, because it's his servant, right? See that? Master, you delivered, you gave, you entrusted to me five talents. Here, I have five talents more. And his master then said to him, well done, good and faithful. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I love that, enter into the joy of your master. The reward is the presence of the master. Enter in. You are faithful, you are good, enter in. Good, it seems to be connected to faithful. Good seems to be connected to how he acted. You're good and faithful. You did exactly what I said. Exactly what you knew I would want. Wow, you knew this. Come, come in, come in. Let's, let's, let's spend some time together. He who also had two talents, verse 22, came forward saying, Master, you delivered, you gave, you entrusted to me two talents. Here I have two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's who you are. You're a faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, you'd almost think, right? Because we know the story. It would almost be like, okay, so what's, what's going to happen now? Because he didn't do what everybody else did. It seems like some know what to do and some have no idea what to do. And um, I, I guess it'd be a good thing just to always, you know, this is kind of a life lesson. Whenever you begin with an excuse, it's usually a sign of some disconnect or some um, inability for me or for you to come to grips with what we've done. Can I tell you why it went that way? Can I tell you what went down? But, but notice, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. It's interesting that it kind of feels like coming last in a race that you weren't prepared for, doesn't it? And what's the response? After all, he's scared. And I don't even know if he's wrong. I know scholars love to debate whether or not. I've heard preachers love to even accentuate this. Man, this guy doesn't get his master. His master is loving and caring and, and he really gets it and he's trying to do everything he can to just be the buddy that this guy never really had and that's what the master is. And boy, this guy doesn't understand his master. Instead, he describes this master. I, I know that you're hard. I know that you gather where you do not sow. I, I know that you, you begin to reap where you haven't sown any seed. Like, I have no idea what to do with you. I'm just afraid of you all the time. I mean, you know what he's going to do if you've heard the story, but what do you think he's going to do? I'm so sorry you were scared of me. What did I do that would ever make you think that? I love you, dear child. I care about you. Come in anyway. 
Isn't that what you would have done? I don't know if he's wrong. I really don't. I have no idea if he's wrong. It seems to me that there were three, and you got to be careful extending too far into a parable. Jesus is, is trying to get a point across, and we'll talk about that. It's very similar. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be, in this text, faithful. Not just prepared, but faithful. But it seems like there are two that get the master, and there's one that doesn't. And I would say, though, that every one of them kind of knows who the master is. Like the other two seem to know that when the master comes back, he's going to want something, don't they? Master, you gave me five, I got five more. Master, you gave me two, I got two more. I think they all understand the master. If I were to say to you, what, what is, because you know this is about God, right? What is God like? Man, he is, he is angry and he's um, kind of distant and he's quiet and he's really, like he's really hard on, on, on his creation and he can't be around sin and he's um, like he's gonna come back someday and judge the world and those people who like aren't good enough and don't love him, he's gonna send them to hell. That's what he's like. True? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's True. So what is God like? You know, it's funny he's asked because I was just thinking about him. He is like loving and caring. He is so loving. I mean, listen, now because he's, he's holy and he's big and he's powerful, but he is so loving that even though we like have rebelled against him, even though we've done all these terrible things, I mean, I've done terrible things, even though all of those things have happened, let me tell you, this is amazing. God loves us so much, he sent like his son to die for us so that we, not by being rich or by being really talented, he came down and took our place and now we have an opportunity to be with him because there's going to come a day when he is gonna come back and he's gonna take us home. He's gonna take us home and we're gonna be able to be with him and we're gonna be in his presence. And then those people who've chosen to reject him, want nothing to do with him, who really don't wanna be with God, he, I know this sounds crazy because you know how loving he is, right? I mean, I, like he lets them have what they've always wanted, which is life without him and there's no turning, turning back. But man, I, I really am looking forward to that day. Is God not good? Same God? Which one got it right? Answer, yes. That's why I find it fascinating when people begin to describe God. Huh. They're doing a lot more than just describing God or just describing like some generic. They're, we, it's never they, we are exposing a little bit of our own heart, a little bit of our own perspective. Notice what Jesus says, the master says. I thought this was fascinating. Verse 26, notice this. This master said to him, like, I don't know if this is the Jesus you, I don't know if this is the Jesus you just mosey up to, bro. He says to him, you wicked, slothful servant. Now, I don't think it's like him. He's just being accurate. 
What are you? You're wicked and slothful. That's what you are. What are you? You're good and faithful. And we want to blame God for a lot of stuff. In the end, we just hate the fact he just said something that was true. This guy's wicked and slothful. Just didn't like hearing about it from God. Hey, look at this. You knew that I reap where I... It's a question at the end, so I need to kind of go up with the, my voice like that. Listen to this. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Like, you knew that? I don't think he's asking it like, where'd you get that idea from? I think he knows that that's kind of true. Like, he knows that's the way. He's asking the question like, that is what you knew me to be. And so you know, man, this guy, he's intense. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go hide my, my, my talent that he gave me in the ground. I know this guy like wants a lot. And he's watching his buddies. Hey, what did he give you? Five talents. What are you going to do? I'm going to actually go make sure he gets five more. You know how he is. And he deserves it, don't you think? He's wonderful, don't you think? What'd you do? I don't want to say. Did he give anything to anybody else? Yeah, give some to Joe. Okay, Joe, what'd he give you? Two talents, what'd you do? Well, you know how he is. I mean, he's just so like, he's got these great big expectations and he wants all, you know. And so, I mean, I'm putting it to work. I think I'll have, by the time he gets back, don't know when that'll be, but I really want to have at least two more for him, you know? What'd you do? I really don't want to say. I love this question. So this is how you saw me and so you decided to take your stuff and just put it in the ground. Like that was your plan. I love this. It reminds me of conversations with my kids who know how to try to manipulate me like these guys. Dad, I'm really afraid <laughs> that you're gonna hold me accountable for my stupidity. Dad, I'm really nervous that right now I'm going to have to pay for all of the terrible things that I have done. And, and so, Dad, I just want you to know that I'm really afraid of you. <laughs> By the way, that wasn't Andrea, but she could say that too. Come on. And, and, and so I, I didn't get it from this parable. I wish I did. At times I would just stop to my, and I'd talk to my kids, and i go, yeah, you... Seriously, you genuinely look afraid. I think you know you're in trouble right now for what you've done. I, I believe that, totally. But let me see if I can get this straight. Like, you know that I'm gonna find out what you did. Uh-huh. And you know that I'm gonna hold you accountable for what you did. Uh-huh. And you still decided to tell your teacher that you had a different name than your real name was. And you still decided that you were going to hide the teacher's stapler. And then you still, still decided to do that with your brother. I'm just picking on the things Mackenzie did. Are you still decided to do that, knowing those things about me? Like you thought, dad's gonna know, dad's gonna come get me, and, and then you decided to do this. Why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> That's the question. If you know that about me, why did you do that? Isn't that not a brilliant question? If you know that about me, why did you do that? I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if my kids know me. Sometimes I don't know if I know God. Because if I really know him, like the way I say I know him or the way I preach about him, then like shouldn't my life somehow be a mirror of that? He says it right here. If that's what you really thought about me, and he doesn't go, and by the way, that was so wrong. 
I'm such, no, you just call me wicked and slothful. <laughs> it seems like he has a pretty good idea of who his master is, even though he's looking at it from the wrong side. You ought to have invested my money with bankers and that my coming, I would have received my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents for everyone. See, this is Jesus. He may not be your version of Jesus, but he is the version of the real Jesus. He may not be the Jesus that you want or the Jesus that you long for. He's the Jesus that you need. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then cast that worthless servant. This is why Zane's not allowed into the party. And cast the worthless tree building, tree fort building servant into outer darkness. And in that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. An eternal, oh, why didn't I, why didn't I get ready? Why didn't I prepare? Why was I so lazy? Why was I so afraid? So then, we have these two questions that you and I get to just wrap up with. Like, what's taking so long? Have you ever kind of done the math and just thought, wow, Jesus has been gone for a long time? From the time of Abraham to Jesus, which is 2,000 years, and Israel's like, this is taking forever. From Abraham to Jesus is 2,000 years. From Jesus to us is 2,000 years. Like, what's taking so long? And don't you read certain parts of the New Testament and get a sense like they're thinking he's coming back at any moment? Like, what's taking so long? And, and we begin to ask that question, and I don't know about you, am I allowed to say this as a pastor? Like, I don't know, you ever wonder if he's ever coming back? I, I've seen people do like weird things with certain parts of the Bible, believe maybe he's not coming back. Like maybe that idea of coming back is more of a metaphor. I've heard this. Maybe it's a metaphor. Like maybe we're just going to keep doing this forever and when we die, our souls go to some other sp space, place. Maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to come back. Like what's taking so long? Peter answers this question. I want, I want to give you a, a verse of scripture that you need, to, you need to underline and then memorize. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. You, you should know these. They should be underlined in your Bibles and you should commit these to memory. I really do believe that. Don't know if you get the whole Bible memorized. These are ones that you need. How many of you have wondered what's taken Jesus so long? Raise your hand if you've ever had that thought. Yeah, this is where you go. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Listen to what he says. But do not overlook this one fact, Peter says. Now, we always make fun of Peter when he says the dumb stuff to the point where I'm really, really beginning to think that when um, we get to heaven, for those of us, particularly preachers, who've been making fun of Peter, He's just going to come up and probably punch us in the throat or something for all the dumb things we've said. So if you go back and listen, I've been really good to him for a long time, okay? Now, I'll be honest when he fails, but listen, I have some of the similar problems that Peter has, so let's give him a bit of a break. He nails this. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that to the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Like, God's not... Go. He's not doing that like we do that. There's something different about him. But he doesn't just leave it there. He just doesn't go, God is different. He continues, verse 9. And by the way, the Lord is not slow. Like, I know you're wondering where he is, and your stopwatch says 2,000 some odd years and counting. I get it. But he's not slow. Like, don't read 
his absence as silence, as a disconnectedness. Don't become like those lazy Christians of a few hundred years ago that just decided to become deists. God wound up the world and just let it go. Sitting back, disconnected. Don't be like them. Because if you do, you're gonna have to butcher the Bible, which by the way, they did, but don't do that. He is not slow, I love this. He is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient, which means that God actually is doing something. Like, I believe that patience is something that is very active. You know, I I love to kind of talk about the honesty of my kids. One of the things I love to do also is to remind my kids, I would say this quite a bit when we would go to bed, I would say, listen, and now we get to, in in my prayer, I would say in front of them, I would say things like, and now we get to go to sleep because God, you will not. You ever thought about that? There is like, for some of you, like long periods of time, for some maybe of us a little less, long periods of time where we are completely unconscious to the world. Completely vulnerable, completely disconnected, right? It's called sleep. How how do we do that? How do you sleep with all that's going on in the world? How do you sleep? Because I know the one who's not. That's how. Like I know he's, so when when we wake up, God's like, hey, I've been here all, been here literally uh, for all time. (laughs) Waiting for you. Uh, Here's the day, it's coming. Ready to do this? So he's not slow, he's patient. He's patient towards you. Do you understand that? He is patient toward you. See, we hate that. Well, okay, we love that, but then we hate it when it's someone else. So we want it for us. See, um, I I think God's waiting because he knows how much I want to be a grandpa. I think God's waiting because he knows how much I want to get married. I know God's waiting because he knows how much. I've heard people talk like this. It's the dumbest stuff I've ever heard. Like it literally makes no sense. I don't think that's what he's waiting for. If that's something you and I get to enjoy, that's great. Don't get me wrong. The things of this world are to be received with thanksgiving and joy, recognizing the goodness of the one who gave it. Nothing wrong with enjoying it. You know why God is waiting? Not so you can be a grandma or me a grandpa. Not so you and I can enjoy at least one year of good retirement. Because you don't want to waste your time. This is life. It's not why he's waiting. He is patient towards us, not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all should reach Repentance. That's why. Do you know people who are lost and going to hell? That's why God's waiting. What are you doing? There are people all around us, and there are people in this room lost and going to hell. Eternal, and again, by the way, if you don't like the fire stuff, if you don't like that, I'm, I, I, it's, all, it's, it's somewhat metaphor. I have no idea what it will be exactly. The one uniform thing of all the pictures is an eternal, oh, oh. Why did I waste it? Why did I blow it? Why wasn't I ready? Why did I see that stupid tree and build that tree house? 
That's what it is. By the way, for those of you who weren't here last week, you're really missing a bunch of my sermon. <laughs> um, so I, I want you to just think about it. There are those who are lost, who are, who are going to be eternally separated from God. And we know he is waiting, and he wants them to come to repentance. I guess my question is, so what are, what, what are you doing? Like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? And so we get to ask that question, what do we do until he gets back? And I, I love this. Here's another verse that you need to memorize. And um, it's a verse that has meant so much to me. I use it quite a bit in my sermons because it's from the Apostle Paul. And I share it with him. And, I, and here's the problem. One of the reasons why I'm always leery to use Paul because you go, oh, great. One more person I can't live up to his expectation. I think he would say, you don't get it. <laughs> Like, I have nothing special that Christ hasn't given me. I've got nothing. I may be a five-talent person, truly. But you know, it was Jesus that gave it to me. I was, I was nothing. My name was Saul. I was a mess. Don't think so much of me. Now, now by the way, like my master that gave me the five talents, that guy's awesome. I think that's what Paul would say. See, Paul just got what he had in his hands. He looked, and there were five talents, and he got it. You and I, I don't know, maybe some of you are five, but most of us are just twos and ones. Are we not? I feel like a two, don't want to be a one. I think I'm a two. By the way, totally cool with it. Because <laughs> the same master's coming back, and he's so amazing. So Paul says this in Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor precious as to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received. Like, it seems like he feels like Jesus has given him something and on some day he'll have to give, settle that account. It's almost like he gets, it's like he's living out the parable. I just want to finish my course, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And here's what it is, to testify, to give witness to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what, that's what it is. What is your ministry, Paul? Just tell people about the ministry or the grace that I received. What is your life about? Just telling people about the grace that I received. Well, how do you do that? I do lots of ways. I build tents. I walk across Asia. I do a whole bunch of different things. Like, that's what he's doing. So what do you do until he comes back? Exactly that. See, th this is... This is interesting. I, I love to read parables to understand what they're really about so I can know what they're really about. And then I can go, oh, I get it. Man, I get it. Zane did a good job even describing him last week. These parables, they, they really do. They kind of come through and they kind of sort us, you know, like sheep and goats. You on this side, you on this side. And I spend all my time trying to understand what the parable is doing and what the parables of Jesus really do. Instead of me trying to figure them out, they literally figure me out. They expose me. They label me as a five, a two, or a one. They label you as a five, a two, or a one. Don't spend all your time just worried about understanding this parable. I got something more important for you to do. You need to figure out what this parable is doing to you. Which one are you? Hey, I knew you'd be coming back. Everything you gave me, here it is. I, I, I've been doing it for you, Jesus. Man, I hope when he comes back, he's going to be totally cool with the fact that I built him a fort. Hope he's going to be really, really happy that I took everything he gave me and I decided to use it on me. Hope he's going to be really cool with that. That's why I call him bro. 
That's why I kind of changed, you know, some of the difficult parts of the Bible so it kind of fit better with my lifestyle. Are you ready for this? Zane had a brilliant statement last week. I'll use that here in a second. Here's mine for this week. (laughs) How we wait and what we do says absolutely everything about us. How we wait and what we do says everything about us. How do you wait? I wait understanding why God is waiting. And I, what, what do I do? I, I, I do what, what every follower of Jesus Christ does. I just, I tell others. I, I, I model for others, everybody. Like who Jesus Christ is and the grace that he has given to me. That's all I do. This is why like that baptistry and our ministry together, our ministry together is like what everything is about. You know, I'm really not in a life group because I don't have time. Okay, have fun burying that in the ground. I really don't go on mission trips because my my mission is everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I put my talent in the ground. I really don't like um, come to church regularly because the world is my worship unit. Okay, I get it. I, I, I do, I understand, I understand it. If I wanted to, I could find it. I could find so many excuses. I could want to do this together on ways that I don't need to be faithful. Not to what Jim says or not. I mean, truly, I'll never be your judge. I will never be your judge. You just read the Bible. Here's my question. You read the Bible and tell me if your life matches what that book expects. And I, I have to do the same thing. I have to ask how my life is centered on Jesus and others. I have to ask how my life is actually deeply connected to the community of faith, the body of Christ. I have to ask how my life is growing in obedience, in joyful obedience to who Jesus Christ is in reality. That's what this parable is all about. Well, isn't church about getting saved? You know, getting saved. Sure, (laughs) totally believe it. Then what do we do? I don't know, live for ourselves. How many of you got saved and then just went back to living for yourself? And by the way, just living for the rest of humanity doesn't help you either. Might as well build a tree for it. Listen to Ephesians 3 verse 2. Man, that was great mileage, brother. But Ephesians 3 2. Paul says this about what he received. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. You've heard, they knew, of the stewardship, so something that was given to him, entrusted to him, of God's grace. Wow, okay, so God's grace was given to him so that he would go to, no, not to go to heaven. Paul was entrusted with God's grace that was given to him for them. That's a crazy verse. So why did Jesus save me? For you? Why did Jesus save you? You ever wondered about that? Because you're cute? Because you're gifted? No wonder preachers blow this text. And the talents are about money, so you'll give more. Talents about your resources, so you'll show up for work day. Talents are for something else, so that we can build our church. <laughs> no, actually, it's all, it's not about your money, and it's not about, it's not about your gifts and abilities. It's about you. It's about me. So where do I go? What do I do? I love this. Anyone have a ring on their hand? 
What has God entrusted me with? Well, I don't know. Let's look at our hands. Do you have a ring on your hand? How many of you have a ring on your hand? Raise your hand. So God has entrusted you with someone. Well, but really, Andrea is here to just make me feel better about myself. Uh, or, you know, to make me lunch. <laughs> Andrea is here, you know, to help manage the kids so I can get a job. Andrea is here as a partner given to me by God so that together we can glorify him. And she has gifts and abilities that God has entrusted to me and I have gifts and abilities that God has entrusted to her and, and they call that marriage. Is that how you see your marriage? Andrea was really good at calling our kids gifts. Our kids are gifts. And this parable would go, you're right, Andrea. And there'll come a day when God will want to settle accounts. Taught him how to hit a ball. Taught him how to read. Taught, taught him how to be good, upstanding members in society. Taught, taught him how to get, they got good scores on their ACT. We were good parents. You ever talk to him about me? Took him to church. I just, I'm really, I am not comfortable talking about certain things. Maybe use that as an excuse to not talk to your spouse, to not talk to your kids. You realize this parable just cuts us all open and then just leaves us like literally like there. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Why do I live in my neighborhood? Because until Jesus comes back, he's not slow and he's put us in a place to make a difference. Okay, why do I work where I work? Because God is not slow. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And he's given us the ministry of, of not just evangelizing. Do you know if you died tonight, if you would go to heaven or hell? I, I love how it just seems to seamlessly fit together. It's Jim and Andrea and the kids living their lives to the best of their ability under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit in a faith community trying to make much of Jesus on a regular basis. Isn't that what life is all about? You know what I call that? Church. Is that not awesome? And one day we'll settle accounts. I'm so grateful that I know him. I really do. I know him. And he is hard and demanding and exponentially more gracious and good. Zane's brilliant line was this, unprepared people can't prepare people. I love that. Unprepared people can't prepare people. And so therefore, you and I have an opportunity when we begin to look at those relationships, those places where someone has been entrusted to us, what do we do? We make the most of that. Our marriages, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, just testifying to what God is doing in our own lives. It is that simple and it is that natural. We, we sang a song, let me close with this. We sang a song today that said, kind of this, if God is fighting for us, then who can fight against us? And I know a lot of people that look at that song and they go, well, you know what, I... I thought that was true, and so I was doing this thing, and I had this business going, and God totally abandoned me. And man, business got hard, and, and my job fell apart, and God wasn't there for me. I've, I've heard that. 
You know, I, I met this girl and I decided to get married. Was she a believer? Well, no. I mean, it was college, so none of us are. And so we're walking through. <laughs> none of, I, I, I just, we were in love with each other. And then our marriage fell apart. Totally fell apart. Don't give me this. God is fighting for us and nothing can stand against us. You know what so many of us do? We literally, we, we hear that song and we think, I can do whatever I want and God will support me. That's not what the song is saying. It's taken from the book of Romans, which describes not you on your own, but us as a church. It describes the mission of Jesus. What weapon fashioned against us can stand? Answer, there isn't one. It's not describing you in your small little world building your own little kingdom. Yeah, that's going to crumble. That's going to fail. That's going to fall. You know what it's describing? Us together. That'll never fall. That'll never fail. I pray that you understand the joy and that you long for the day when you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, he doesn't say that because he's nice, although he is. He says that because it's true. You wicked, slothful servant. He doesn't say that because he hates you. He says it's because it's true. And he loves you too. Before that day comes, may we hear what this parable says about us. And may we be faithful. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this day and for this challenge. Thank you for this word that comes from Christ himself. I pray, Father, that we would be diligent and that we would be faithful, knowing how good you are. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. You know we'd love to continue this faith conversation. If you want to, walk this way, not that way. We'll be down front. Don't forget the 146 Empower Conference. You can sign up in the lobby, and we will see you Wednesday. God bless. Love you guys.